What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, I just wanna give you a quick heads up that my new book, The Business of Belonging, How to Make Community Your Competitive Advantage is now available anywhere where you can buy books on Amazon and any bookstore. It is the complete collection of everything I've learned from the last 13 years and how to build community for your business and all of the frameworks and models that the CMX team has developed to teach businesses how to do this work. It's all in here. I really appreciate all your support. You can go and order it now. Today's interview is with Sarah Jane Morris, S.J. Morris, a longtime friend of mine in the community industry, one of my go-to people whenever I think about developer communities. She's worked with a whole range of incredible companies, dating back to Keen.io, which is a company that was one of my favorite community-led companies back in the day, went on to work on developer community at Shopify, HubSpot, MailChimp, and now she's returned back to HubSpot. And we just dive into the world of developer communities, She shares what she's learned from working with a lot of these really big brands and the differences between the different kind of developer communities that she's built and what it means to build community in a developer plus company where the product isn't for developers, right? Like MailChimp or Shopify isn't for developers, but they built a developer ecosystem around it versus a product that's built just for developers like Keen.io or other developer facing tools. She talks about how to get started in a community role and the process that she took to audit the existing state of the developer community within HubSpot and how she's using that to build out the future. We talk about DEI and B in building communities and specifically in building developer communities. We talk about the balance of community and capitalism, one of my favorite topics. SJ is just an OG in the community space who knows a ton, is super thoughtful, and you're all going to learn a lot from her. Let's dive in. SJ, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, David. It's a delight to be here. It's been a while. We haven't seen each other in quite some time. It has. I have a memory of like hanging out with you. Where was it in Soma, that co-working space? At Covo or Galvanize? Yeah. Galvanize. That's way back. Mm. That goes way back. Yeah, that is way back. That's probably, yeah. I'm going to say four, four years ago would be my best guess. Five. I feel like more than that. It's got to be more. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Galvanize. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, Galvanize. I used to work out of Galvanize. That's where we built CMX. Yeah. Well, that before that, I was at a free co-working space called the Dojo, which is a whole other story. But Galvanize, a lot of good memories there. Oh, San Francisco. Yeah, totally. Well, good. So we have a lot to catch up on. We do. So what better way to do that than with a podcast? You've been busy in the last five years. <laughs> I have been. I was just on another work meeting and I was joking. Actually, it was delightful. I got to have a meeting with our brand new HubSpot CPO, Stephanie Cuthbertson, who is a fantastic new lead. And I was just joking with her that I've kind of been the Goldilocks of tech in the last few years because I've been kind of hopping around from like marketing platform to e-commerce platform. (laughs) And I finally feel like I've returned back to where I belong, which is HubSpot sort of feels just right. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a journey. I did some time at Shopify, which was amazing. I learned so much there. Most recently I was at MailChimp and I learned a ton there as well, even though it was only a one-year stint. I felt like I, I really flexed the muscle of 
building out the foundation of a developer community there and coming back to HubSpot and reconnecting with a team that is mostly still intact from when I was there before is just absolutely delightful. And I'm feeling really excited about our future at HubSpot. Hmm. If you don't mind sharing, it's pretty unique to leave a company and then come back later. What's the story behind that? Yeah, that's a very good question. And certainly like not something I was expecting to necessarily do. But the opportunity, sort of like I alluded to before, the opportunity to work at MailChimp kind of meant defining developer relations and developer community for the company. Mm -hmm. They'd have, like many companies, they have a strong engineering culture with a lot of awesome engineers that have been kind of dabbling at putting out, putting together their own sort of API tutorials, just little bits and pieces. But there was no kind of shared strategy or vision really for developers and building community for developers and and resources for developers in a scalable way at MailChimp. And so I came in to help them with that. I was really interested in being a team of one and building that. Mm. I think we're all used to in community building that sort of uh, cross-functional buy-in that's so important for what we do since it touches so many parts of the company. It's a little bit challenging to do that when you're the only one kind of thinking about a specific audience 100% of the time. Like, of There was a kind of my internal board of directors at MailChimp that cared about this audience deeply, but also had their full-time jobs, which didn't always include the developer audience 100% of the time. And so I learned a ton about sort of building buy-in and getting some quick wins under the way, sort of under my belt, whatever the expression is, (laughs) and showcasing those to sort of like get more investment. But then the Intuit acquisition happened. Our sort of uh, strategy kind of got a little bit I guess there was just a lot of a lot more questions than I think I had the bandwidth to be able to answer on my own. Mm, yeah. I was still sort of waiting it out to see what was going to happen, but HubSpot kind of like reached back out to me and they were saying, you know, how are you doing? We miss you. And it never hurts <laughs> to hear that. Right? They slid back into your DMs. They literally did, actually. Yeah. <laughs> literally did. It was all in Twitter DMs that this happened. Yeah. So the power of Twitter remains very true. Mm-hmm. So one thing led to another, and before I knew it, I was <laughs> on my way back to HubSpot. So yeah, yeah, that's cool. That makes sense. Very Steve Jobs of you, grand return. <laughs> yes, I I try to emulate Steve. Just kidding, not <laughs> in some ways, but mostly not. Right, in the good ways. In the good ways. <laughs> in the genius ways, not the <laughs> cruel, weird ways. Yeah. And HubSpot, we'll get into all the stuff you're doing there. HubSpot's team has been. I feel like they're just crushing it in community hiring. Like every time they hire someone, I'm like, that's somebody I want to hire. Totally. That's incredible. Yes. But that's interesting. I want to like dive into that a little bit because I've had a number of conversations recently with other kind of more senior experienced community professionals. And I've gone through this experience over the years as well. Do you feel like you coming into MailChimp, you're a very senior experienced person. You know what the goal looks like. You know what the end point looks like for a really good developer community, for a really strong developer community team. So I guess, what did you learn from that coming in as a solo, like the one person to do that work? Was it a matter of like, you just needed more of a team around you? Or is it the stage of the company that made that hard? Because if I were hiring you, I would be like, you're coming in to build a team from day one and build mm-hmm. an ecosystem. Like MailChimp's big already. Yeah. We need to like get to maturity relatively quick. Yeah, absolutely. The intention was to eventually build a team, but I felt it was very important to spend a lot, a good chunk of time. And this is a kind of a general approach I take 
whenever I'm looking at a new community or mm-hmm. a new sort of surface area to be working on is to really listen and understand what the developer experience and folks who self-identified as being part of the developer community. And we can get a little bit in, more into that after, because I don't think every member of a developer community always self-identifies as being a member of a developer community. Mm-hmm. That being said, I listening to them, talking to as many developers as I could, and also starting to understand, like, how does this directly plug back into the big goals for the company? There was a lot of focus on our app marketplace last year at MailChimp. And I'm still going to talk in first person like I still work there because I feel that way about all the companies I've ever worked at. I, it's ours, it's theirs. We're all part of it together. Yeah. So that was the, kind of the driver behind really starting to make intentional focus on developers. But I felt it was important to represent the interests of any external developer trying to do something with MailChimp. Because like a lot of these marketing platform companies, there are many different developer profiles that have a vested interest in building or collaborating with these platform tools. In MailChimp's cases, there were a few different developer products. There was a product called Transactional, which used to be called Mandrel, which mm. I think if I say the word Mandrel, a lot of developers know that name. Mm-hmm. Back in the days, we know SendGrid mm-hmm. was kind of like coming up in becoming the sort of big player with Twilio that they are now, Mandrill was one of the bigger players. And it was kind of a... I remember Mandrill. Yeah, right? I'm not even a developer. I remember it. Exactly, exactly. And so Mandrill's been through a lot of fits and starts. And I think the company and anyone you think, you, you know, this is not a secret. I think anyone you speak to at MailChimp will kind of realize that that was a missed opportunity with developers. Mm-hmm. At one point in like 2016, they made the decision to force folks who were building with Mandrill to also have a paid MailChimp account. And that caused a lot of mm-hmm. erosion of trust in the developer community mm-hmm. and a lot of very public discontent, which developers are known for. If they're not mm. happy with something, they will tell you about it. Is that because like it's just a core value for a lot of developers that things should be more open and accessible and having that barrier of you need to be a MailChimp customer? Yeah, it was an unnecessary additional charge that... They weren't leveraging the marketing platform or necessarily the specific email marketing tools of MailChimp. Right. They were just using Mandrill and that obligation just didn't make any sense. And so in principle, totally. it just eroded a lot of that trust. And I think that's one thing I love about developers is that they're very, very principle driven. Mm-hmm. So that was you know, a missed opportunity back in the day for MailChimp. And if we fast forwarded, I think that the desire was to really focus on very quickly building a pool of developers that were going to build great apps. But really, that takes so much time. Like Mm. We needed to go back and generally work on our reputation with developers Mm. and rebuild that overall trust with when developers hear the name MailChimp, what do they think? Mm -hmm. And that takes so much time. And so we had, like I say we, (laughs) me and the folks that cared about developers, Yeah, there was a we. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some folks there that I would not have been able to do anything without them. Totally. Like folks in our API core team, like shout out to Moisha, shout out to Hannah. Those folks uh, really you sort of like helped me get the stage, get the the ball rolling on improving our overall reputation with developers and starting to make some clear signals that we were investing in this audience again. We cared about them. Right. At the end of the day, if it's not coming from a very top down as well as bottom up, it's not going to work. Right. I think Intuit actually does have that vision. And I think that will help MailChimp in the long term. But there was sort of a period of time there where it was like, okay, this is going to take a while. You have to be ready for with community as well. Like this is going to be a long term commitment. Like, yeah, we're not going to see immediate results overnight. This isn't marketing. This is community, right? Yeah. Community is never a quick win. 
it's never a quick win. And so I think I forget the original question. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> so the original question is around like coming in as an individual contributor and like, yes. to what extent was it really about getting more of a team versus it, you spoke to some of the challenges yeah. that maybe didn't even matter how big your team is. It's like, exactly. there's an understanding and alignment around what it means to build a developer ecosystem or program or community from the ground up. I want to dive into that a little bit more. What are those keys? If you're coming in to build a developer community from the ground up, rather than you're coming in to manage an existing community, like it sounds like that reputation is one core pillar. Mm-hmm. Are there kind of core pillars that if someone's coming in to build a new developer community, they should keep in mind as the foundation of one of these kinds of programs? Indeed. And I think that starting from where the vision for developers in the company lives, who owns it, how high up does it go? Those are some signals that will help you determine like how realistic is the company going to be about building out a strong developer community. And I think the first question you really need to ask is, does a developer community even make sense for this company? And it it doesn't always. Right. Why? Where there's yeah. an opportunity to, and a desire, I think the commitment to having And this is less and less true for a lot of companies, but having open APIs and having the ability to like really kind of like open the floodgates to within reason, but open the floodgates for developers to kind of build whatever they want. Mm -hmm. And I know at these marketing companies, a lot of times there's a lot of handholding from partnerships and a desire to build something with very specific value. But I think if in order to build sort of that one to many or that many to many developer community, there really needs to be a commitment to seeing what's possible with APIs and seeing what's possible with the resources that we're providing externally to developers Mm -hmm. and giving them the space to co-create, to connect with each other. And if you don't get the sense that there's that sort of long-term, like open-mindedness towards what developers can create, Mm -hmm. then a broad community strategy may not be the ultimate investment. Like Mm -hmm. there's still probably space for some community plays for the folks that are building to connect with each other, problem solve. Things like ambassadors and champions programs do really well when there's a tight mandate around a developer community. And and there's like a lot of sort of top-down specificity around what the company wants to see developers build. But without that element of kind of having public APIs that are open and, and available for developers to be creative because at the end of the day right. one of the things that i think people don't talk enough about is like how creative developers can be mm-hmm. and how they can really add value to a company in ways the company itself never would have imagined mm-hmm. if that is not part of the sort of longer term vision then a broad community strategy uh, might not make sense mm-hmm. yeah I, I see that a lot with companies who in theory want to they envision this thriving developer community around their product and their ecosystem, but they still are maintaining this culture mentality of kind of gating access to things or like really mm-hmm. limited APIs. Like they want to maintain control and build a community, yeah. which like I think they're the antithesis of each other. If you've worked in community for any amount of time, you know that it's all about like giving up control and letting people create and collaborate without you telling them what they can and can't do, or at least having pretty loose guide rails that they can work within. And that can be really painful, especially for marketing companies, <laughs> because yeah. oftentimes, like, it's actually kind of the funnier side of things. Oftentimes, 
one of the unforeseen consequences of kind of opening up APIs and letting developers build whatever they want without giving them the right education and targeted guidance for how you Mm -hmm. would love to see it come together. There's sometimes some really hilarious and questionable branding decisions that get made yeah. <laughs> by, by developers who are not marketers. They're just trying to package their product, this awesome thing they've built themselves, but that's not their area of expertise. They've built something really cool. Now they need to market it. Yeah, And I think that's where a company like HubSpot and like Shopify can come in and really help that side of things right. before you start to see these kind of like very egregious uses of brand. Yeah, <laughs> developers with just some like weird, very yeah. deep, dark web inside jokes that <laughs> won't actually work in marketing at all. Yeah, it can get pretty funny out there. Yeah, but yeah. good for them to like making the effort. But like, I know they—that's the area where they're like, "Yeah, we need your help here," and that's an area where you can really help with exactly on the community side. You've mentioned this a little bit there, but just want to articulate for people who may not understand the nuance of it. What is the difference between a developer community program and developer advocacy program? Yeah, so I see developer advocates as truly being the kind of individual catalysts, and in a lot of ways being the individual catalysts for the vision of the broader community, but for ultimately the bigger vision of the developer vision at a company. I've just said vision a ton of times, but that's fine. We all have many, many visions. But what I'm trying to say is developer advocates are the individuals going out there as the faces of the company to represent what's happening for developers at the company and taking that external feedback, bringing it back, getting it right into the product feedback loop, being those sort of like faces of the community that the community can reach out to and connect with. Or as I feel like the community strategy is more about enabling developers to connect with each other and creating the spaces and clear pathways for that to happen as well. And understanding kind of what it is, what are the actions that you want to see developers taking in your community to get them to more value and to bring more value back to the company. Got it. And so I think the advocates are kind of the catalysts or the the spokes in the wheel of community, but the community itself is kind of that bigger picture to, to get developers together with each other and connect and mm-hmm. scale the vision. Got it. Makes sense. And so you've had experience now across MailTrim, Shopify, I mean, back at Keen.io, which is maybe where we first met. <laughs> yeah. I think that's where, yeah, galvanized stuff was happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. With Tim Falls, OG community. Yep. My, yep. my like guru. <laughs> he, Tim Falls, like the reason I am who I am today, literally. Yeah. He's, he's yep. part of who I am today, too. Mm-hmm. Definitely the part of me that had long hair and a big beard. <laughs> yeah. Tim Falls is like the reason why I don't completely discount Burning Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best compliment and description of Tim Falls I've ever heard. I hope, Tim, you're listening to this. Yeah, I really hope so. Definitely follow Tim Falls if you don't. He's working on some cool stuff in climate community now. Mm -hmm. But so you've worked with kind of various different companies now on developer programs. Is there anything that you, if you zoom out and look at each of those, you would say is really different from company company in the developer programs? or anything that you've identified that really works well for building a really healthy developer community that was based on kind of the different kind of contexts you were in? Yeah. So I think there's two areas that I'm thinking of. One, I think I've already alluded to a little bit, and that's where does this openness and where does this developer vision fit into the sort of overall executive vision for the company? Mm -hmm. So I won't talk too much about that because that's been a little bit different from company to company. And then there's the difference between, you know, a company like Keen 
that was initially meant to be a developer product right. was analytics APIs, like API mm-hmm. first, an API driven product. Whereas um, most of the other companies that I've worked for are developer plus, as they say, or their platforms. Right, right, right. Yeah. And so I think there's really different approaches there. I think that <laughs> taking Keen in isolation and kind of looking at how they approach that is not something that I can necessarily say would translate to other developer-first companies because Keen was such a unique, almost, and I, I don't mean this, I don't think anyone would think this is disparaging in any way, but they were kind of an experiment the way they were running the company. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that that term holacracy where it was meant to be yep. that everybody was on the same level and Keen was... That's right. Yeah. Y'all were experimenting with that. Yeah. Really trying to make that happen. There was no hierarchy, but that was really like interesting in terms of like how we all contributed to driving. And it also, Keen was, I really like, in, in some ways, like there's a path in the, the future of the world where it's like, okay, Keen didn't happen, but what, what would happen if Keen had like taken off? Yeah. Because we were all really, it was a community driven company. Yes, there was a community team. Totally. Yeah. But everybody got it. Everybody got it. We all like as simple as like there was we would have this Easter egg in our APIs that if folk if developers found it, they would get this like really awesome. They just needed to submit their address and we would put together these amazing care packages that were super personalized. Yeah. And we would just like every Friday afternoon drink some beers and like put together these care packages. So cool. Not scalable, no. but so delightful. Yeah. <laughs> and so Keen was a very I think all their companies like Twilio also had that like that scalable community vision. Developer first, right? Developer first companies, yeah. Like everyone understands who you're serving, whereas like Shopify and Mailchimp, the customer yes. is not the developer. Yes. And so it's much harder to get alignment and understanding. Like there's less of an intuition. Exactly. There's a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. I think that yesterday. I retweeted a tweet from Evan Hamilton that you we, we interacted with a little bit. We, um, on, uh-huh. And he was just saying like, people need to realize that leadership is needing to explain yourself over and yes. over again. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's especially true for DevRel developer community at a developer plus company totally. where yeah. there's such a narrative around the customer. There's literally words like customer obsession. And as an FYI, I hate words like that associated to like, obsession like 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 everyone you shouldn't be able to put your customer obsession aside at five o'clock but in any case you prefer addiction better word well i think you know customer <laughs> first okay we care about the customer yeah we love customers we even love is fine but like yeah no addiction no obsession please let's just have healthy habits here okay damn but when the customer is the, the driver of the narrative, it's very hard to plug developers into that. Mm-hmm. But I think once you find that sweet spot and start to tell stories about how developers are impacting our customers' businesses, because that's the whole point, right? Yeah. And developers love that too. Like once they see how they're actually impacting the bottom line and they get a more sticky app customization, whatever it is they're building. But telling those stories, I think, is a big part of community and DevRel in a way that we can really elevate the developer in those developer plus companies. Right. And that's generally the business value that you point to from developer communities. It's like developers build into the product and that makes the product more sticky, more valuable. That leads to increased retention. Yeah. Ultimately, it really is like accelerating, like adding that value that could never be Mm -hmm. scaled by just the company, right? Power of community. Absolutely. 100%. You said there were two things. So first thing was kind of that culture and the focus on developers. That's a big difference. What was the second thing? 
Yeah. The second thing, oh, I was just sort of talking about like the difference between developer first, like the approach you take is a little bit different in a developer first company versus a developer plus company. Mm -hmm. And like, I think it was, was it Caroline? I just want to give like credit to that terminology. I think it was Caroline Luco who came up with that in her recent like developer, like state of the developer of DevRel survey, where she talked about developer plus and developer first. So I just want to make sure I'm like giving the credit where credit's due. But yeah, I think the second, the two parts were just like whether or not you're developer first and whether or not you're all right, well, let's talk about what you're doing now at HubSpot. Tell me about the yeah. HubSpot community, the d- developer community program at HubSpot and what y'all are working on. Yeah, so I think you alluded before to the fact that HubSpot is really killing it when it comes to community, making some amazing hires. And that's so true. And I think one of the things that's interesting about developer community at HubSpot is that we're actually quite organizationally separate. From the customer community team, mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that we can start to make, you know, just from the sheer knowledge sharing that that team has, extract some of their knowledge and bring it over to what we're doing with our community. But today, as it stands, the, the developer community at HubSpot consists of some fantastic, like, organic, like, it's almost like we have a champions program, but we just haven't put a strategy around it because we have so many developers that are just like enthusiastically talking about HubSpot and all of their spaces. They have agencies that are entirely dedicated to building on HubSpot and adding values for HubSpot customers. But today, as it stands, there isn't a solid strategy around getting them what they need from HubSpot and for us to learn as much as we can from them. Mm -hmm. We have a couple of owned community spaces and my immediate focus is going to be on like making sure that those have the sort of like clearest discovery paths and the most that what's happening there aligned to our overall community goals. We have a developer Slack. And I tell you, I could talk to you about my feelings about Slack as a community tool for as a whole other episode. (laughs) The issue with the, it's this real mixed bag. So it's this extremely, we have like 10,000 plus members in this developer Slack, but So many of them are folks who have just come in, asked a question, nobody answered, and they left forever, right? Tons and tons of churn because there's just, there's there's too many channels, there's too much noise. And it's a very, honestly, like for anyone who's been in that developer Slack, if there's anyone listening who's been in there, I'm sorry if your questions weren't answered. We are working (laughs) on it and we want to make it a really engaging place where we can plug in some of our experts to help sort of scale those questions. And then from the forum side, I think there's a lot of support and community overlap with especially developer community. Since developers are so, they really don't reach out until they have a problem that needs solving. Mm. They're in the majority of cases, not just there to chat. We do have a good chunk of developers that are there to chat, which is a really good sign of our community. But the hope now is to really get folks to where they need to be, work with support to tighten up those channels and give us the space to create more engaging spaces for our developers that do want to connect with each other, Mm -hmm. give them opportunities to co-create and build relationships and networks. So that's the short-term vision. Longer term, I'm really hopeful that we can start to take a lot of that really goodwill that our community has today and start to, the way HubSpot has such a strong reputation as a marketing, a general marketing resource, like you could ask Google any question about marketing. There's a HubSpot article about it. I promise you. Totally. I would love to see us get to a similar place from a sort of platform 
developer perspective, from a technical perspective. So mm-hmm. start our advocacy team has just, we've just brought in someone from Splunk. His name is Chris Riley and he's awesome. He's leading our advocates and we're going to start creating more and more content initially around HubSpot, but eventually to be more agnostic and just give general value back to the technical community. So more of that developer first HubSpot second approach mm-hmm. down the road. Mm. Makes sense. I have a couple questions that came up. One is kind of going back to what we were talking about before about kind of the intersection of community across the company and the way it interacts with the extent to which a developer community team should work with, alongside, or separate from a customer community team since you've been at a number of these community plus mm-hmm. or developer plus organizations. And it, it came up because we also interact. We had another interaction on Twitter this past week where <laughs> I shared that community isn't your team's job. It's everyone's job. Yeah. And you responded that, but the community team should be the guiding light. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting, right? Because yes, we want everyone in the company to be involved in community and drive it. But there's this idea that you hear talked a lot about in the community space of community as a center of excellence or hub and spoke model, where you kind of have like a core community team who leads a lot of what community looks like in practice, our processes, our values, things like that across the org. But then it applies differently, whether you're driving a community towards product or towards support or towards developers. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious what you think is the ideal state and to what extent you have that at HubSpot in terms of community as a center of excellence, as like a discipline within HubSpot and the interaction between the developer community team and the customer community team? Yeah, that's a great question. And it actually is a great question in light of the fact that I did just come back to HubSpot and I would really like to see us as a company making sure that our community vision translates to all parts of the company, but especially the parts of the company that are building community initiatives, including developer communities. So indeed, you know, I say that we're distinct and kind of far apart, but we do have like a couple of stakeholders that sit right in between those spaces. So Dennis Edson is someone that we literally hired from the community. He's our technical community manager on the forum side. And it's so interesting because it just illustrates the sort of specific problem set that I'm talking about, because right now he reports into support, but he dotted line into community and he dotted line into he ah. dotted lines into DevRel. Love a good dotted line. Right. So many dotted lines for poor Dennis. His head is always like, where am I looking next? Which I will say, people talk about data lines all the time. I don't think anyone knows what that means, but carry on. <laughs> it just means we want you on our team, but we can't have you yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're loosely responsible for something maybe in our team. <laughs> yeah, and like I'm gonna try to tell you what to do, but maybe yeah. I'll ask you. No, I would never tell Dennis what to do. Yeah, you should tell me what to do. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is that I think there needs to be like. I don't know if we need to do, maybe this is a real thing we can do in 2022, but like an offsite as a group for anyone who's sort of a community Mm. representative to make sure that we're kind of translating the overall community vision to our different audiences. Mm -hmm. So I just feel like it's really important. And then like the internal education portion of that, I think HubSpot does that a really good job with that in some ways through our core values. So this acronym HEART that we talk about mm-hmm. all the time at HubSpot, yeah. which is humbleness, empathy, adaptability. So I think that like the way, and then there's another one that I absolutely love, but it can be tricky, but it's also great. But it's called, let's say what the acronym is, 
use good judgment. So UGJ, people are like, UGJ, UGJ. <laughs> like, oh, we need so many more acronyms in the tech industry, right? No, yeah, that's all we need more of. Absolutely. Yeah, more jargon too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like once you get those, they just are very empowering. And I feel like HubSpot also just does a really good job for, to hire folks who are inherently community-minded, inherently kind of yeah. our culture adds on top of these sort of values. Totally. And just in doing that, it just makes it a lot easier for when we kind of like share some core community tenets and like be available to put your best foot forward for customers. Customers first. And in our case, like that's kind of developers first on behalf of customers, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, just like I feel like the more I talk about this, the more just as it's turning into this story of how the only way for community to be deeply successful. And I think that one of the questions that you're potentially, we're going to potentially discuss is like what makes a, a truly like outstanding community versus a good one is when that community ethos. That was my next is, question. You stole it. <laughs> Oh, I'm segueing for you. What can I be helping you do your job? <laughs> so when you take that community ethos and it's like built into the literal culture of a company mm-hmm. and that comes down to all the details, like hiring, how we actually run community internally mm-hmm. is such a big part, a big reflection of how that's going to translate externally. Mm-hmm. And HubSpot, like it's a group of people. We're not perfect, but they're doing a pretty darn good job of trying to make that stuff a true part. And it's easy because it's like just how we want to operate. We want to care about each other. We want to be transparent with each other. That's why we joined HubSpot. And so it it works quite nicely. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. And that's kind of getting at that tweet of like, it's everyone's job. And it's hard to find that if it doesn't already exist. It's hard to change it. It really has to come from the top, from like Mm -hmm. founders and C-level. And I think that that's true of HubSpot. I mean, inbound and that that brand, that community brand has been a part of HubSpot since the very earliest days. And I think even though like the literal inbound forum didn't carry on, that community mindset, absolutely from my experience and interacting with HubSpot over the years, has carried through. That's great. But actually, it's a very interesting point. It's something I wanted to mention before, but I kind of forgot. (laughs) It's the community team itself is actually fairly new at HubSpot, like Mm. to have it with that stamp on. This iteration of it is. (laughs) This iteration of it. Yeah. The heart and soul of it has always been there. Yeah. And there's, you know, been projects in like the inbound forum like you talked about. Right. But, and there's been spaces all along, but the community, as we talk about as a very formal discipline coming together to really create a solid strategy beyond just the forums is fairly new to HubSpot. Yeah, totally. So it's been kind of interesting to see us really seek to formalize it and just like entrench it. Operationalize it. Operationalize it. Thank you. That's exactly the word I was looking for. Got you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so on that operationalized level and kind of going to that, what's the difference between good and exceptional in the space? I'm curious, coming back to HubSpot, you're a very experienced community professional. You've seen many, many different communities and programs. What is your process like on a tactical level? You, you're coming in. How do you identify gaps and existing kind of opportunities to improve a program? Like what is your literal process for auditing the current state and moving into a place where you have a plan and yeah. you know what you're going to do? So this involves a lot of initial help, right? I need to tap into a bunch of different teams. And some of the teams that are top of mind now, because I'm actually literally doing this at HubSpot, 
are folks like UX Research, folks like, and it's also a blessing to be in a company where you have these different disciplines that can help support this. But folks like UX Research, folks like support, and literally our developer advocates kind of coming together and doing kind of a roundtable where we identify what we think the gaps are, everyone sort of from their different perspectives. I mention UX research specifically, and I mentioned support specifically because we have a UX research team that's dedicated to developers mm-hmm. who've been talking to developers day in, day out, mostly about the product, right. but they get to hear all kinds of stuff, right? Totally. And our support team hears everything. And so, and they each have their ways of kind of like categorizing and formalizing how that feedback is coming in and sort of edifying that in the company and, and sharing it outwards. But With all of these different data streams, like we kind of have to look at it together from a community perspective. Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest things that are, this is probably true across any company that I've worked at or anyone who would be starting to identify a community strategy is to look at what the discovery path, what the onboarding paths are to community today. Mm -hmm. And as a result of those, like what is the experience that is then happening in in the respective community spaces? Okay, And so I think, those different perspectives, like, and if you're at a tiny company where there isn't UX design or, or sorry, UX research or an existing dev advocate team, et cetera, et cetera, I think that just literally reaching out to the developers using your product, doing that initial kind of deep dive research yourself is crucial to be able to start to identify like how are they coming in, where they feel like they dropped off. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a, a mixture of surveys. Surveys are great, but as we all well know, there's like it's incredibly hard to get, especially with the amount of noise out there these days, to get like a solid response rate, especially totally. with developers, I will add. Yeah. And so surveys are great, but like one-to-one interviews are great and whatever bits of research. And you're not going to get it perfect at first. You have to be ready right. to iterate and for the community to tell you like, okay, this isn't working. As long as you have like, if you're plugging in with the right listening tools, we just started using a tool called Common Room. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. heard of it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm starting, we're starting to instrument it in a way that will give us a chance to be listening for the right things. I think we're listening pretty well Interesting. for sentiment mm-hmm. around our developer community and resources right now, but I don't think we're listening well enough for opportunities and gaps. And I know there's a lot of, it's a really cool tool because we're like kind of early on with them and we're kind of, it's very fun to be like one of the customers that are helping influence their roadmap. Totally. And so I think there's going to be a lot of power with that tool as we kind of evolve our instance with it. But I think starting that initial listening tour with the right audiences, literally speaking to the developers themselves and making sure you're plugging in ongoing listening from the right perspectives and then just trying stuff. Right. Trying stuff on small scales, like, there's a world in which, like, God, major asterisks on this, but like, maybe we won't stick with Slack as our community forever. Uh oh, you heard it here <laughs> first. Watch out. Like, maybe we'll convert over to Discord or something. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, no. Don't worry. Don't worry, everyone. It's not going to happen for like at least a couple of years if it does happen at all. Right. But like, we, you have to be ready to like, do you start trying things while you're kind of doing this analysis process or do you try to do like a pretty thorough analysis first? I don't know. It's a catch-22 because you have to be so careful with a developer audience. Like you piss off a developer, you can like, there's levels of pissing off. Like if you break an API that's like making a developer's customization or app work, like that's it, you're going to lose them. And you didn't warn them, like... You're done. <laughs> yeah. Peace out. You you screwed the pooch. Yeah. I hate that expression. Anyway. <laughs> 
I don't really understand it, but neither do I. Like, why did, it's because some guy on the, some dad on The Bachelor said it this week. That's why I said it <laughs> off of mine. Anyway, we can talk about reality TV another time. But if you can, like, I don't know, if you build a certain level of trust with a core group, and this is where it's like challenging. Like, if you don't have a group of like ambassadors already, it's hard yeah. to find that trusted group to just try things with. Right. But I think finding those folks who are willing to kind of like, help out incentivizing them, giving them things like beta access to APIs, like even doing sort of a yeah, yeah. grassroots version of an ambassador program, which we've been doing for a long time at HubSpot. It just totally. hasn't been sort of wrapped into an official program yet. Like that kind of stuff can go so far in mm-hmm. doing some experiments and things like that. But you have to be ready to capture the right data and balance it with the right sort of like North Star. Yeah. The idea of like having a beta community program is something I don't think community teams do enough. We always do it with products, right? We're like, hey, let's put out this really underdeveloped version of our product so we can get early feedback. And we're going to find people who are cool with that and know it's going to be underdeveloped and be excited about being early and give us feedback. Mm -hmm. But then for some reason, when we look at community programs, we're often like, oh, this has to be fully flushed out by the time anyone can see it or be in it. I think a lot of us are perfectionists. Yeah, it's true. (laughs) And I think that makes it challenging. But hey, the path to perfection is imperfection. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) So that's super helpful. So you come in and just to recap, you're looking at surveying, interviews, the data that you have, whatever tools you have access to that have that data, things like Common Room or other community analytics tools, and using that to essentially educate, all right, here are things we can try. Yeah, and I think it's also important to take that initial research and kind of map it out in a way that starts to tell a story towards how the community is going to influence business goals. And so one of the ways that I've done that and the way I'm trying to, again, (laughs) Mm -hmm. start this up again at HubSpot, I say again, because we tried it while I was there before once and had some success, but Uh it died when I left, like lots of things do, but it's the Orbit model. So what's interesting is, yes, the Orbit model product is a product, a kind of CRM. What I love about the Orbit model is just the sort of concept of mapping these milestones based on sort of community gravity. And we did a good job of actually instrumenting that to a certain extent at HubSpot the first time around that I was there, so in 2019. And what we did was we essentially like just took a long list of like developer actions that we considered to be that had some level of intent. So there was a lot of guesswork involved. Yeah. But we mapped it. And also, it was also pulled from a lot of research, I should add, as per my previous point. But there's also always some guesswork involved when you're starting from scratch. And we mapped it onto kind of where we felt there was the most weight Mm -hmm. in terms of intent, engagement, like commitment to the community. So things like attending an event, things like contributing to the Slack, Things like even like as simple as viewing our docs as sort of a lower touch or lower gravity milestone. Mm. Put that together and started to measure it over Mm -hmm. time. We got actually a numerical view of like how many folks were in these different tiers of the orbit. I'm hoping to vastly simplify that initiative now Mm -hmm. and take some of the key indicators based on this original research, mapping it to the orbit model on an ongoing basis to see like, okay, this event Mm -hmm. happened and a bunch, this cohort kind of moved up into the orbit a little bit more. Maybe we should do more of these, like that type of thing. So we can constantly be speaking the same language about how we're talking about measuring community and getting the rest of the company to understand it. 
I mean, the orbit model is like, there's lots of equivalents out there. There's the community commitment curve. There's like all kinds of other tools, but I just like the orbit model. Any sort of community member journey. Yeah, there's just a ton of valuable resources out there. I think you just sort of pick what you feel like you can commit to the most and what you feel like you can use to tell the most compelling story. Totally. Yeah, I've always really liked the visual of community as a sort of solar system. And like, it's like also you want to build density at the middle because that pulls people and creates a center of gravity that pulls people towards it rather than like having a very loosely connected group of a thousand people. Well, now they're just going to get pulled to all the other centers of gravity that exist out in the world, in the universe. Yes. And God knows we're all being pulled in lots of directions from that perspective. Exactly. But one of the fun things I like to do is be like, I've really considered the folks working on our community team to be like the center of the orbit. They literally work at HubSpot, right? Totally. Exactly. Especially the folks that we hired from the community. And so I'm like, mm-hmm. none of this is going to work without you. You're at the core of the orbit. And they're like, oh, totally. I'm at the center. That's amazing. The team is the center <laughs> of the universe. Just real quick on that too. So Orbit, a tool that a lot of developer community teams use, sort of similar in some ways to Common Room, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And so you've used both of them now? Have you gotten to play with Common Room much yet? I wasn't, or I haven't returned to HubSpot before that official decision was made on which vendor we were going to go with. But I know we looked at the Orbit model as the, the CRM tool itself. I think one of the things that without, you know, I don't know if we need to go too deep on this, but like, one of the things that Common Room ended up just being the kind of deal breaker for us was that they could plug in Koros yeah. and Orbit. Right. And so that was like Koros is where our community is happening. Where, so. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, Common Room is like targeting more of that enterprise, yeah. big company, community, Koros integrations, things like that. Yeah. And we're a little less on the open source front, although I hope that will change at HubSpot. Right. So I think Orbit's a little bit right. tighter on open source as well. A little bit more. Yeah. And then you have Comsor. It seems to be a little bit more like, I don't know, maybe like more startup, SMB, less like big enterprise company. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting to see this like new suite of tools crop up that like didn't exist. Oh, there's so many. We did we did a whole episode about this on Oh yeah. Shout out to my podcast, the Community Pulse. Yes. Yes. Awesome podcast. I know you interviewed some of our hosts recently. Totally. We did a whole thing about like just the the landscape of community tools right now and how completely overwhelming it is. <laughs> starting to look like that really intense SaaS platform. Yeah. That like map. Uh, infographic that comes out every year. It's like, oh, totally getting completely overwhelming. But yeah, it is. But it, I, I don't know about you, like for me being in this industry for so long and like 15 years ago, looking at the tools we had accessible to us, it was just like yeah. a Facebook group. Like we didn't even have that yet. I don't think like, yeah, it was like super minimal. The tools weren't great. We had like BB forums, like really old. I was literally going to say that. That was like yeah. my first time around doing what is now in retrospect community. I used to do affiliate marketing uh-huh. in like 2004. Yeah. And it was all all PHP, BB or whatever that was. All those forums, like it was wild. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So going from that to like, all right, well, we've developed a lot of new community platforms. And then for a while, it's like, all right, great. We have a lot of tools for like front-end community management, but they're all pretty terrible at like back-end operations and analytics. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to see this new crop of community operations tools because I feel like they could be a really big unlock for community teams to scale yeah. what they do and get the data they need to prove their value and actually measure things properly. 
they're still very all very new, but I'm I'm very excited about it. Yeah, you just made me think. Like, imagine a world where we have like, and I'm sure this is starting to exist for some companies, but like a community ops person who's just optimizing those. That's happening. Instances of those tools. How have you saw in the new the report? I haven't I haven't had the privilege yet, but we're uh, that's so exciting to hear. In the new report, thirty five percent of community teams have a full time community operations person now. What? Yeah. Where have I been? I know, right? <laughs> like, I want that. Yeah, it's really cool. See, that's the part of my community brain that is just doesn't work well. So, like, I need a brain to help me with that. Exactly. Yeah. It's a huge trend that's really exciting to see. And so, yeah, I, I see both of those things coinciding. We're seeing more specialists, people who are working mm-hmm. on community operations become a big thing simultaneously with community operations technology coming up. And I think a year from now, it's going to get really fun. Oh, well, great. I'll be here. (laughs) Exactly. All right. Last question before I rapid fire question round. Okay. I have to ask you about this because I feel like it's like, we're going to zoom out here a little bit, get theoretical, but like, I feel like I run into this question a lot in my own reflections. Your Twitter bio says that you're a conflicted anti-capitalist. Yes. And so like this idea of like community and capitalism, I asked about this on Twitter recently. My book is called The Business of Belonging, which like I chose because of that tension of like, oh, like do those words even belong together? Yeah. What makes you a conflicted anti-capitalist and how do you feel about like working in community in the world of capitalism? Well, okay. So I will start by saying, I think a lot of folks can agree there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. Like, I don't know who to attribute that quote to, but it's basically the reminder that like we live in a capitalist world. There's like no 100 percent right choice you can make that doesn't involve completely detaching yourself from society and just not functioning very well as a human being. And that that's a, a an unfortunate reality. I have gotten signals and hopeful signals from various generations over time that perhaps we're moving into a more equitable world. And I think I just struggle with being a part of, part of it is like struggling with the fact that I landed on the lucky side of the coin when it comes to the capitalist world. I fell into this career that thankfully I feel really lucky about. It pays me a decent amount of money and allows me to work in my adorable little Brooklyn apartment. But on the flip side of that, like it really is just sort of like looking at how much suffering is involved and how can I minimize that in the choices I make and how I vote with my talent. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I do love about working in community roles is you can kind of play that. I mean, massive shout out to the folks who are doing actual DE&I work at companies. But I think community plays a big role in making things more equitable across the company because you're really representing a good experience and a good journey for anyone who you, you don't ever want any community member to have a bad experience unless they're like bad players and folks that are going to be toxic community members. And there needs to be sort of mechanisms in place for that as well. But ultimately the community is a space that needs to be welcoming to all. And I think in doing that and conveying that and working for companies that sort of have that larger vision, it's worth moving us towards a, you know, a kinder form of capitalism, I suppose, Mm. a more mindful vision of what business can look like in the world. Mm -hmm. And so it's just an ongoing balance. I feel like I'll be totally frank and I don't mind going on record with this. Like one of the reasons why Intuit didn't feel right for me was because I didn't feel like they were making the right kinds of choices for a more equitable world. 
in terms of their lobbying practices mm-hmm. to the government to make taxes more complicated. Mm-hmm. That didn't feel right to me. And so that was another factor in choosing to take my talent to HubSpot. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a big part of it. Yeah, that's well said. Yeah, I think the balance is the key part, that it's not either or. On the days where I'm excited about it, it is looking at community as almost that counterbalance mm-hmm. is like, I guess on the days where I, I don't feel great about it, it's like, ugh, like building community for a capitalist profitable engine feels like weird and like counter, especially when community is so driven by social values and social contracts and people contributing their time and energy because they care about each other. Mm-hmm. And now, and then there are going to be some people who profit from that a lot more than others. That's where it feels like shitty. But then when you look at it as like, well, community is a really good counterbalance to just like cutthroat capitalism. It's like, well, no, community-led capitalism can be a lot more equitable and inclusive and ensure that, yes, we're going to try to drive a profit. We need to, but we're going to do so without sacrificing values and equity and things like that. That's indeed always the hope. Yeah. That's always the hope. And as long as you're working with a lot of people who share that hope, then I think you're doing what you can. Yeah. Like... We're all just doing our best in this world. Absolutely. Yeah. So on that level, actually, I just want to ask, when you're doing developer community work, do you have any tips for investing in DEIB, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, mm-hmm. How, especially in developer ecosystems, which can be very male-dominated, white-dominated? Mm-hmm. What are things that you can do to intentionally make those communities more equitable, inclusive, and ultimately diverse as a result? Yeah, I think you nailed one of the keywords is being intentional about it. I don't think we have the luxury to just completely bake in some like hopes and dreams of DI and B in our community programs and kind of hope they'll happen. There needs to be very specific targeted action around it. I think one of the very first early things you can do, especially if in this case, you have the privilege to start a community from scratch, making sure you're starting it with those, those safety measures in place and those inclusive measures in place, like a really strong code of conduct. And not just the strong code of conduct, but also an enforcement plan because mm-hmm. a, a code of conduct with no real enforcement plan is quite useless. And you need to be thinking about that code of conduct in every sort of community touch point that you're thinking about, whether that be events, whether that be your forums, like it needs to translate to those spaces. And sometimes the nuances of how that translates can be a little different from space to space. Good news is there's a lot of experts out there who've done a lot of work on that. I still refer to a lot of the DEI work that has been done from an HR perspective, I think, is being increasingly translated to community. But mm-hmm. I still look at Project Include as a resource for mm. just general tenets of like how to speak to your community in an inclusive way and how to speak to humans in an inclusive way and how to structure codes of conducts and things like that in a way that has thoughtful research behind it by folks in marginalized communities who actually drove that work. And I think turning to those marginalized communities to tell you how to approach these things and all of the great work that's already been done, like it really should be a no-brainer. There's tons, so many resources out there today that um, not not being mindful and thoughtful about that from the get-go is just, it's kind of like, how can you not? And then if you're further along in your community, you can roll those things out. It's going to take a little bit more adjustment. You might need to do some hard work of fishing out some more toxic members, but it's crucial to do that in order to invest in the future. In terms of like actually influencing diversity, I think partnerships go a long way. Initiatives that are targeted to specifically amplify the voices of underrepresented, marginalized folks. So, you know, at Shopify, we did 
a uh, the, something called the Unite Fund, which was to elevate underrepresented developers to come attend our Unite events. I'm just thinking about things I've had a direct hand in. And then also like that thing about baking it in to everything you do, like it needs to be an action item in every right. initiative you're doing. Like I work with this. So it's a really cool thing about coming back to HubSpot is that I currently work with my backfill. <laughs> so I was doing program management when I was there before for developer side and community was involved. But now I've come back to completely focus like exclusively on community. Uh-huh. And Nikita Jotwani, who's doing our program management is just so great about making DE and I literally items on our Asana boards for totally. all of the projects that we're doing. And that's great. I think that's the way to live it, live and breathe it, like walk the walk, not just talk the talk. I love that. There's so many good pieces of advice in there. Uh, just to call a few out. One, and this is something I've, I've consistently heard when interviewing community builders who are focused on marginalized groups is like one of the fundamental things that they do differently is invest in moderation from day one and communities that aren't focused on marginalized groups and not intentionally investing in DEI and B tend to look at moderation as an afterthought because they're like, well, it's so small. We're just getting started. It's not like a core priority for getting a community off the ground. We'll add that later. And that can be in technology, that can be in code of conduct, that can be in the enforcement strategy. But every community that is specifically being built for marginalized groups makes it a priority from day one. Mm-hmm. And that that's such a, a subtle but like interesting distinction that frankly, like I wasn't aware of because my thought as a white male was previously like, yeah, like we'll be fine for a while. But by doing that, you're actually communicating to people from those groups that maybe this space may or may not be safe for them. Yeah. And I think one of the core things about DE and I is like, if folks don't see themselves represented at an early stage, why would they join that community? And that becomes a you know snowball effect mm-hmm. over time. If you're not thinking about it, not being mindful, then there's absolutely no representation and thus no feeling of come on in and join us. We want you to be a part of it. Yeah. And that's the second point that I think is really powerful from you is that you have to be proactive and create programs specifically to reach people from those groups. It's not enough to say like, oh, well, we're welcoming for everyone. Oh, no Black developers joined our community. I guess like that's out of my hands, right? Like being proactive and creating programs, making it a part of every goal, whether it's an event you're hosting and the speaker lineup you have or a piece of content you're creating and who's contributing to that content. Like it has to be present in everything so that you're not just creating a welcoming space, but you're doing the work that it takes to bring people into the community because the status quo is they may not have access or reach or may not trust it yet because of the way things are today. Trust is huge. Yeah. And that transfers across developers in so many ways, but especially in that that domain. Totally. Yeah. I'll give a shout out to Shana Summers on your team, on the HubSpot team too, doing the black and inbound, I think. I have not had the privilege of meeting her yet, but I've heard wonderful things. Oh my goodness. You got to meet each other. I know. I know. Oh my goodness. I know. You got to hang out. Definitely. Yeah. So Black and Inbound, I think, is such a good example of that mm-hmm. kind of program where it's like explicitly built to create a more equitable community and bring in folks from those marginalized groups into those spaces rather than just like wait for them to arrive and be like, oh, well, we have a welcoming space. Yeah, totally. Totally. Intentionality is key. Love it. All right. Rapid fire question round. I'm going to ask you questions. Oh, God. And you're going to answer them rapidly. Right, good luck with that. But yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll try. <laughs> I'll, try. I'll also try. You try. You try really hard. <laughs> yeah, I'll try. I'll try. Really, really hard. Okay. Are you ready? 
Yeah. Favorite book to give as a gift to others? I'll just say The Business Value of Developer Relations by Mary Thangval. Like, I still refer to it all the time. Great one. Awesome one. It's the best. Yeah. Oh, I'm almost sure she was one of my, yeah, she was one of my first guests on the podcast. So you have to go to the back. Mary, Mary is the heart and soul of DevRel in lots of ways. She's incredible. <laughs> I've learned a lot from her. All right. Two, who's your new Jeopardy crush? Oh, <laughs> I love that you included that. Someone's been reading my recent tweets. I watch Jeopardy every night without fail. And this guy popped up. He's a veterinarian from Muskoka, Ontario. And his name was Evan Freeman. And he was just delightful and funny. And yeah, so he didn't win. He wasn't the champion, but he's the champion of my heart. That's right. Yeah. That's the real win. <laughs> What's one community engagement tactic or conversation starter that you like to use in your communities? I, I, it's as simple as people love this when you ask them where they're from. It's so simple, but then it can turn into so many different things. People like, I'm from Baltimore too. Oh my God. Yeah. So where are you from? Where are you from? Yeah. That's always a good one. Always a crowd pleaser. Especially virtually. <laughs> I should clarify. That's right. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. If you do it in person. Well, even in, at conferences in person, but virtually very much so. Yeah. In the conferences, it's like, who's from the East Coast? And everyone raises their hand. I don't know. You do like that kind of thing. Yeah. It's still fun. People get, yeah, they get so excited. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or you have people shout out countries are from an international events. That's always fun because you get a feel for like, wow, this is a real global group here. That's cool. Yeah, totally. I miss those days. Who in the world of community would you most like to take to lunch? I think we've mentioned him a couple times on this call already, but Evan Hamilton. I haven't had, he used to run, or he still runs in a newsletter form, the uh, community breakfast, community manager breakfast. And I used to go to the community manager breakfast in San Francisco back in the day. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen him in person in so long. I would love to just like chat with him and, and have lunch with him. I know. He's one of my favorite people. He's making all those babies, you know? You don't, you don't have time for us anymore. He's making so many babies and still being so smart and so centered. <laughs> like, I don't know how he does it. Evan's incredible. <laughs> Great one. Yeah, I want to I want to have lunch with you too, Evan. Hit us up. <laughs> Slide into our DMs. That's all <laughs> What habit has had the most positive impact on your life? Oh my. I think the habit of knowing when I'm... And this is, I have not mastered this habit. I'm trying to, but knowing when I'm like done for maybe not the day, but at least for the hour and just like slapping that laptop closed, mm. stepping away, getting your breath, drinking a glass of water. Mm. Like, I think the more I've been around, the better I am at that. But totally. definitely listen to yourself when you're feeling, even especially if it's, I think as community folks, we get, we can be very emotional. Yeah. And when your emotions are very activated, it's a good chance to step away and mm -hmm. disconnect for a moment and bring yourself back to the center. Slap the laptop. We'll, we'll summarize it in that. Slap the laptop. Slap the laptop. Yeah. Love it. Mm -hmm. Make a sticker. I like it. Make it happen. <laughs> What's the best gem you've found in a Facebook Buy Nothing group? Yeah, that's a great one. I This is one of the community spaces that I think is doing such awesome things on that anti-capitalist note because it's all about like mm -hmm. a circular economy, like folks giving stuff away and folks, folks picking stuff up. I've actually been really successful at giving stuff away. Mm. I haven't really done a lot of like picking up stuff yet, but mm -hmm. I'm getting rid of my beautiful article orange armchair tomorrow and it's <gasps> going to a good home. <laughs> and I feel like really good to just pay it forward. So mm. big fan of those groups. You got to like shoot me a notification when you post something on the group. Right. I give away good stuff. Sign up. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of quality chair. Yeah. Sign me up. Yes. Well, it's also been scratched by a cat for like months and months, but yeah. Well, what has, yeah, same here. <laughs> Everything you see behind me has been scratched by a cat. <laughs> yeah. Including my feet. Yes. What's the weirdest mm -hmm. community you've ever been a part of? 
So I don't know if this is weird, but the way I kind of went about it was weird. So this is like 2002. I had been in love with pugs Mm. my whole life and I never had one. So I established the Montreal Pug Meetup Group just so I could hang out with pugs. And you didn't even have one. And I didn't have a pug yet. (laughs) Very proud of that. That was my first established community. (laughs) That's so funny. And now look, I have a pug tattoo. Hey, there you go. And I had a pug, Herbie the Love Pug, for 12 years, rest in peace. And so, yeah, I established that group. It still exists today. There's like a thousand members in it. Like, very proud of that. Yeah. Wow. Way to really commit. Starting a community for a dog you don't yet have is really... (laughs) Exactly. Like, kind of weird, but kind of great. I don't know if that's the weirdest community, but it definitely makes you the weirdest community like member ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm proud of it. I love it. If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? I mean, this feels very basic, but I'm in New York, so I'm going to say pizza. Like pizza yeah. truly, you can't get it. Like, I'm never not happy about pizza. It's also a hack to this question because you can add anything as a topping and get... True. You can really get all, all your meal. required meal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What's a community product you wish existed? Haha, we alluded to this earlier. I wish Slack would lean into the community use case. So I would say Slack for communities. Mm. Slack is leaning into the collaboration workspace use case. I I wish they would do more for moderation and just other things. Like there's a lot of hacking you can do on Slack, but it's still not a community tool at the end of the day. It's so wild. I like don't get it. It's such a huge market for them. I don't get it either. We just did the community industry report again, and it's the number one most used community platform by community teams. And it's literally not built for us. It's really not built for us. And imagine it was. Imagine it was. Imagine. Imagine if your content didn't disappear at 10,000 messages because you can't afford to pay for your members. Exactly. Imagine if you didn't have to pay hundreds of dollars or whatever per seat. Imagine. Imagine. Oh my goodness. Imagine. Imagine. Yeah. Uh, all right. Done imagining. <laughs> all right. Last question. If you were to find yourself on your deathbed today and you had to condense all of your life lessons into one Twitter-sized piece of advice for the rest of the world, what would that advice be? Well, first of all, depressing. <laughs> Second of all, helpful. I like to end on a really emo yeah. note. Uh, emo. Let's lean into that. I mean, well, I really need to come up with something epic here, but uh, all that's popping into my head is YOLO. Like, also, like, really, really stamping me as, like, some sort of millennial cusp, like, wannabe. Like, I don't know. YOLO. You only live once. Just do it. Just do it. I'm a devout atheist. Why is that your advice? Or how has that shown up in your life in a way that... How has that shown up in my life? Like, I don't know. I've, like, I've moved companies and countries, and like, not countries, but cities. So many times in the last five years, I'm actually hoping the YOLO like chills out a little bit for the next few years. A little less YOLO, but... Yeah, a little less YOLO. Yeah, you've been YOLOing a lot. It's been... YOLES. Yeah. (laughs) It's been an adventure to follow Uh, that spirit a little bit. I mean, I feel like I could be doing it a lot more, but uh, it also means to like just care less about the things that you don't need to care about as much. Like care about what matters. Mm. Because you only live once. <laughs> That's definitely millennial advice right there. I feel like we're all finally <laughs> learning that in our lives. <laughs> yeah. Like, wait, yeah. I don't have to care about all of that bullshit? Great. Yeah, yeah. Maybe stop caring so much about things you don't need to care about. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> SJ, where can people go to continue to learn from you and follow you? So funny. My Twitter re- remains a mixed 
space of my random random ramblings and also occasionally professional stuff. So, mm-hmm. and that will always be true. But you can follow me on Twitter at, at Sarah Jane Morris. That's Sarah Jane S A R A H Jane Morris. Let's see where else. I mean, I think that's probably the best place to start. That'll take you everywhere else you need to go. And HubSpot developer community. The HubSpot developer community. I don't go to our Slack unless you know exactly what you <laughs> want to do there yet. <laughs> don't join our community. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. Until we I love that. Exactly what you want from it. Yes. No. You please do join it and hit me up there. Like if you join our Slack, please say hi to me. That's actually a great answer. So it's developers.hubspot.com and the community stuff is all in the, the top. So there's a lot of good stuff going on there. Love it. And I we would love to have you. So please do join our community. <laughs> awesome. Asha, you're awesome. Always a pleasure chatting with you. We go back really so many years in the community space. We've seen many highs and lows in this industry and you're someone that I always learn a lot from. And I always think about someone who's just like trying to do this work the right way. Thank you. That means a lot. Over many, many years. So that means a lot. I really appreciate the time that we've had to catch up and this feelings mutual. Definitely learn a lot from you as well. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye everyone. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo, and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.